Welcome to Geeks and Jacks Podcast. Hi there, and welcome back to Geeks and Jocks. This is Ryan Sullivan recording November 25th, 2019, slated for November 26th, Thanksgiving week. So, just a quick thought on that. Just uh, shop safe, shop smart, and shop carefully. <laughs> All right. Uh, so for this episode, it's Console Buyer's Guide 2019, an idea of uh, what the systems that are still selling on the store shelves, and talk some other stuff, more Houston Astro stuff, it's going to be pretty small. A prototype of Sonic the Hedgehog 3 got released, and it's very interesting. The failure of a specific movie, and the blame on men, and YouTube in trouble. A, potent, a law after they had to pay a huge fine and what it means for a lot of YouTube channels and that includes mine as well. So I guess we'll start off with the main meat of the episode or at least the main topic is console buyer's guide. So what I look at is uh, I did this last year and it's talking about the systems that are still out currently and whether they're a good investment or not and I'm going to start off with the dead systems first because because they're they're very small to discuss but as far as PS3 PlayStation 3 uh, Xbox 360 and the PlayStation Vita Go as well as the Wii U and Wii um, these are game systems you're probably more than likely you're going to have to go to a GameStop and a used game store that specializes in having good selections of these systems in their games. Uh, as far as like with GameStop, they still got quite a bit of PS3 games, 360 games, uh, Wii games, Wii U games. And uh, as far as my location for the GameStop, the Vita selection is not there. There's none. And the it's just it's difficult to find this stuff. Um, you might be able to find some select stuff for PlayStation 3 and 360. Maybe some Wii games and Wii U at certain stores. But otherwise, I mean, your best bet is going to be uh, a used a used store. So it's. I mean, we think we pretty much reached that period now where. You know, it's it's not easy to find these games in actual stores, and I got a feeling that within the next year or two, and I'm probably said it last year, that support for PS3 and 360 online will probably disappear either next year or two years from now, and the Wii shut off all its online stuff back in January this year. They shut off virtual consoles, so you can't get any of those old games from like the NES, SNES, N64, Genesis, Turbo Graphics. You can't get it. And I don't know how much longer support will be for uh, the Vita as far as online goes. I don't know. Um, so that's it on the dead ones. So for the current ones, hard to believe that the uh, 3DS is still going. Because they said, Nintendo said they were going to support it through 2020. I'd be a little hesitant on whether it's going to be supported fully that year for the upcoming year or if it's just something that's going to be out for like maybe six months and then Nintendo quietly pulls it off the shelves. But you can still find 3DS systems. Uh, I think I found mainly just 2DS XLs and stuff like that. They sell for like 150 bucks. But the problem with this is that it's so late in the life of the system that you're not going to find too many titles at at stores. Even even if you go to a Walmart, the selection is not the greatest. And obviously, when you look at a GameStop, it's not the greatest in selection either. I'd say worse than, than a Walmart. Can't comment on Target and Best Buy since I don't have any near me. But I wouldn't be surprised if their selections are meh as well. So your best bet will probably be a used game store. 
you know, use local game store that, that that specializes in that stuff, you might be able to find some for probably a decent price, I think. So, uh, I do think the system will be gone for this upcoming year. I'll be very surprised if they continue this on into uh, 2021 because it, I mean, there really hasn't been anything out this year for the 3DS and just trying to milk whatever they can before before it gets too dry. I don't know what else really to say. I mean, had a good life. It, the price cut back in 2011 helped quite a bit to stabilize the system and give it a good run overall. So, yeah. Uh, this is going to be the last big year for PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. I don't know what 2020 brings as we see a new PlayStation system with the PlayStation 5 and a new Xbox, which is under the project name Scarlet. So it'll be interesting to see where things go. But this is the last big year, for I think, for both of these systems as they are six years old. Both of them are. And they have had their big games and all that over the last six years. So... PlayStation 4, I mean, it, I mean, really, it all depends with these two systems. It all depends on whether you are a fan of the Sony IPs like Uncharted, The Last of Us, Ratchet and Clank, MLB The Show, Spider Man, and a number of stuff. And Sony still has some big name titles coming out from, from their own group of franchises. Last of Us Part 2 is about to come out in May. Definitely a couple other stuff, along with their obligatory MLB the Show, Xbox. I mean, you got Halo, you, know, you got Halo and Gears of War, and a couple other exclusives for it. But I don't know. Personally, I still see incentive in having a PS4 over an Xbox One. But with the prices on these systems, I mean, they're going to be like what two hundred dollars for Black Friday. I mean, it's it's a no brainer that you get them while they're cheap and to get a lot of games while they're cheap as well because um, some of the prices for some of these uh, games are going to be like 10 bucks, which is uh, really amazing and you know tons of discounts um, online for like PlayStation Plus you can like GameStop and I'm not sure any other stores in particular they're selling PlayStation Plus subscriptions for like $45 compared to the typical $60 that you see all year round. I mean, there's not much else I can say regarding these systems. I mean, it's your choice. Pick what you want. I mean, but for this season, I mean, they're going to be putting tons of discounts for all this stuff. Now, the next system and the last one of it is going to be the Nintendo Switch. Now, back in September, they released a Switch Lite. So, I, the, the Switch Lite, it's basically a portable system only, and there's no docked thing for it. It doesn't plug into a TV or any of that stuff. The controllers are, the control parts are on the sides. So, pretty much, it looks like something like a PSP with, like, a... PS, you have like PSP, Wii U. I don't know what other systems I could think of, but it it definitely feels like those two, but with like on a much bigger screen compared to the others, and it it has the like ability of being pretty cheap at two hundred, but there's still the docked version for three hundred, and I mean. It all depends on what kind of person you are. Do you like to play the games at home? Or do you like to play the games on the road you know, or on the bus? Yada, yada, yada. It makes for good portability. And it has the titles compared to the last couple of systems that Nintendo has released. Now, obviously, you have Pokemon along to go with you know, the Zelda game that's been out for the last two and a half years. The Mario game has been out for two years. Uh, I think there's like like a new Kirby that came out last year. Uh, 
a new Luigi's Mansion, a new Fire Emblem, uh, maybe a new Metroid at some point will come out. I don't know. Uh, it has the third-party stuff. Bethesda has been pretty supportive of it with a couple Wolfenstein games. The, the Doom game from 2016 made it on there. The new Doom Eternal will come out on it. Uh, of course, Elder Scrolls, Skyrim. Uh, you got some compilations of stuff like the Sega Genesis Classics, uh, re-releases of like the Resident Evil games for it. I think like Resident Evil 4, 5, and 6 are on there. Mega Man Collection. I mean, tons of collection stuff and re-releases of games that came out on the older systems. And, you know, re- you know tons of new releases on the independent, on the indie games and all that. It, it has an interesting library. And the big question will be how long can the Switch last as a dominant system before the new systems come out? Um, I don't know. I mean, it's it's all what ifs for for the upcoming year. I mean, come November, we'll see whether there's a boost or a drag in switch sales. So I think if I were to label it all together, I would be number one PS4. I'd say number two would be the Switch. And number three would be the Xbox One, and then four, the 3DS. As far as, like, systems that I would most likely would want to get to the least likely. Um, That's not to say I'm not recommending the Xbox One or the 3DS, but it's just, what do you you think you're going to get out of it? And I feel like you could get most of your value off of the PS4 and the Switch. I do want to get myself a Switch at some point. You know, I probably would go for the Switch Lite. I mean, two hundred bucks. I mean, that's, I mean, that's pretty good. And I always think three hundred's kind of like borderline. Do you want it or do you not want it? I just kind of wish there was a price cut for for the original Switch model, though. That wraps up the main thing I wanted to talk about with the. Console Buyer's Guide, not as long as what I did last year, and that's why I'm talking other stuff. And last week, moving on, there was a prototype courtesy of the Cutting Room Floor and Hidden Palace, which is a community which is dedicated, I believe, to tons of Sonic-type stuff. And, well, that's what I just mentioned. Um, The prototype, they've, they've been talking about prototypes and finding prototypes of Sonic games and this month they've done a thing called Sonic Month 2019 and they're doing it with the cutting room floor and what that means is that they are looking for stuff that are like prototypes and they found stuff for this is actually from the Hidden Palace that I just site that I got onto just now we were, quote, we were able to obtain several new prototypes for Sega Mega Drive, Sega CD, and Game Gear slash Master System Sonic titles. These come from multiple sources, but we decided to have some fun and release them all in one month. They are going to fill some gaps in our collection of Sonic prototypes, as well as answer some very long-standing questions. And who knows? Maybe ask more questions of their own, unquote. So... This began back in October. So let's see. There's a... I think like a multimedia demo for Sega CD. Probably like a thing with... In like... You know when you go to the CD menu or something and you see the Sega CD logo and the Sega logo. Hmm. Let's see. 26... There was a lot of prototypes for... uh, Wow, there were a lot of prototypes released for Sonic CD. Ranging from December 92 through October 93. Two of of which are pre-releases and... Let's see, one, two, three... 
and six prototypes. There was a prototype for in November, released it this past November, released at the start of November, uh, Sonic Chaos, which is a game that came out on the Game Gear worldwide and came out on the Sega Master System in Europe. So three prototypes of the game, November 9th through the 10th. A couple prototypes of Sonic the Hedgehog 2, dated between two to three months before the final release. And the big one that I'm going to talk about is Sonic the Hedgehog 3. So, Sonic the Hedgehog 3 released in February of 1994. And it's an interesting release because it was one big game that was ultimately split because they were not going to get it finished on time. And I heard stuff like like the cost of a cartridge being too expensive for the full package and stuff like that. So, what they did is they released the first half of the game that February. And then, eight months later, October of 94, came Sonic & Knuckles. And when you connect the two games together, it's the full package is what they were looking to have back then. So, this is a prototype from November 3rd, 1993. And from the looks of it, it doesn't look like November 93. It looks like a... Probably like a... They probably had a deadline at that point. So, it looks like something that came out from like October or September that year. But... It has a lot of stuff in it, and I've seen videos of the game in this prototype form, and it's very, very interesting because this was a game that was being made probably not too long after Sonic 2 came out, or around after they finished making the game, and the info that I've read about it is that it was supposed to be a, an isometric game. That's from the from the information that I've been reading, and the the game was not being developed on time, it was not going well, and then, from the way it sounds like, from what reading it, and you can see the commercials, they struck a deal with McDonald's, Sega did, and they went back to the drawing board and it became a side-scrolling platformer which obviously you know a side-scrolling platformer works very well for these Genesis Sonic games and they are very good and I would say better than any of the Mario games with the exception of maybe Super Mario Brothers 3 and uh, Super Mario World 2 Yoshi's Island I would say Sonic 3 and Knuckles eclipses those games but it's very close very close battle. <laughs> um, so the game went back to the drawing board, and looking at the prototype, they have a lot of stuff on there that is very different. The f- obvious one is a title screen. It's a title screen that looks different, and and obviously when looking at the game, it's not entirely finished. It has a lot of graphical issues, and it has a lot of, it has a lot of backgrounds for the um, main Sonic 3 levels entirely, and it just has some collision stuff that, you know, some stuff that you can't step on, you jump on, you know, whatever. And the Sonic Sprite is more similar to Sonic 2. Um, Sonic Knuckles looks a little different. And just a couple things that make it, you know, feel like it's it's there. It's just not completely finished in its entirety yet. So it's one of those things I think you're going to hear about regarding, you know, it's like, the little things and you know certain sites and videos you're gonna they're probably gonna have a like a very detailed comparison because you know I would say Angel Island it definitely is a little different with the mini boss fight definitely a lot of changes to certain parts in the first act 
the second act, same thing as well. I would say Hydrosity. There's there's a graphical look, and actually, I think I like this graphical one. Both both the final release and the prototype look good graphically. Um, definitely a couple things that are different here and there, but nothing too major. I didn't notice any major changes with uh, Marble Garden and Carnival Night. And this is where, as well, it's like, I think as we get towards the later bit of stuff, you can't do, can't fight certain bosses and you're stuck somewhere. Uh, tons of graphical stuff that hasn't been implemented yet and you'll see it in when looking at bonus rooms, uh, no special stage stuff. And actually, the special stage stuff looks like it's in an alpha state. Like, it's the idea is there. It just hasn't been fully done yet. And you have to use stuff like the debug code and all that. And some music tracks are almost there. It's just some different compositions or it's a little different. But overall, I mean, you get the sense of where it is. But uh, it has some of the uh, multiplayer stuff, the competition levels. The Sonic and Knuckles stuff isn't completely done, and it's very glitchy and all that. Uh, The big thing, and I think this is something a lot of people will look at, is going to be the music. So... This is a very, very complicated story, and it's going to be something I'm not sure if we'll ever get the full truth about, but for a long time, the story was that Sega brought in musician Michael Jackson and Jackson's team to work on music for Sonic 3, and it's hard to know what exactly happened, because in June of 93, there was the whole child molestation scandal with Jackson. And obviously, that paints a very negative light about him. And when you have him involved in a kid's product, yeah, you're not going to be working on that project. So that was one of the ideas of why he was let go. And the other thing, that and the other one that was thought of was... He didn't like the composition and didn't like the hardware of the audio that the Sega Genesis had. So it's one of those two things, and I, you know, hard to know. Some people that worked at Sega could say one thing, and others could say the other. But they used some of the tracks that supposedly Jackson did, and it's very noticeable. So in this prototype, none of Jackson's music is in it. They went with what I think, and this is going to be interesting because when Sonic and Knuckles collection came out in 1997 for the PC, the levels of Carnival Night, Ice Cap, and Launch Base Zone had different music, as well as the competition main menu and the staff credits. It's all different music, and the idea probably was probably legality issues, or that Windows 95 wasn't exactly the greatest at doing audio. I think it could do MIDI, but I'm not sure how well it could have done other music at the time. So, with that in mind, the music for the prototype Sonic 3 is the music that would be eventually be used for the PC. And there was a... Someone did a hack. I think... I'm trying to figure out when that hack was made because it was... included music for... included the Jackson tracks for the game and it included the music from the PC version. So you could play the music... Whichever one you wanted. If you were a fan of the Jackson type music. You could have it in there. And the other one. Is the. uh, Tracks that were used in the PC version. And oh boy. 2013. Wow. That was. I can't believe that came out that long. But yeah. The. The music and all that. I mean. I think. 
right now there is no excuse for for Sega this time. I think the whole thing with Sonic 3 and Knuckles now a year and a half ago it was not on the compilation of that was released for uh, PS4, Xbox One and the Switch Sega Genesis Classics and it, people were wondering why it didn't come out on that on those three systems and some speculate it was because of you know the music that Michael Jackson had on there and all that so it'd be it'd be interesting to see where things go because people do want to play Sonic 3 and Knuckles and the debate is whether or not it you know I think people will debate whether the second game is better or the third game is better I think 3 and Knuckles is the better game over 2 but they're both great games. So it, it's up for download. I mean, you could try it probably for whatever emulator you have it for, for Genesis. And it definitely looks like something I wouldn't be interested in trying out, but it it's definitely history to be looked at. And they're preserving it for archives and all that. It's going to be one of those things that will intensify the whole will this ever get re-released again or not will it be will it be part of something that i think if if i'm sega i'm getting the music from the sonic hack that had the pc music and asking permission to to have it on the uh have it on a compilation because i know people because you give it's similar to what happened with Sonic CD back in 2011. Sega and um, Christian Whitehead, who made Sonic Mania, they put in a feature where you could listen to the original United States soundtrack or listen to the soundtrack that was made in Jap- for Japan and European audiences. They should do something like that, or otherwise just get the PC music from those games and ultimately... Or get someone to work the game from scratch and include the PC music. I know it would take a long time to get it redone, but I th- I think if you were to do that, there wouldn't be any of this legality nonsense. So, I, I don't know. It's, it's going to be probably very complicated. And, yeah, that's Sonic 3 prototype. Now, as far as the movie holiday season goes there are plenty of movies that are looking to get the most out of you know Thanksgiving weekend and a lot of the holiday season and last week was a battle between Ford versus Ferrari and Charlie's Angels Ford versus Ferrari had a really good weekend 30 million a little over 30 million while Charlie's Angels failed to make uh, make even 10 million back uh, back around November 15th weekend and there was there was a lot of complaints I think I heard for Charlie's Angels and its director Elizabeth Banks went on to say that men don't want to watch female-led movies in uh, with with action scenes that to me has got to be one of the dumbest things you could say and I wouldn't be surprised if this weekend it had a really bad drop because the thing with the thing with this is that you're making a movie based on a TV show from the 70s Angels came out in the mid 70s and it ran for like 5 years and that's kind of like who are you who are you targeting it to? Are you targeting the people who know the TV show, or are you trying to find a new audience for this? Because it's kind of a lose lose situation, and I think kind of the same way with some of these other attempts at making these movies and all that. And looking at this past weekend, it 
you know, it's like this was a big weekend for Frozen 2. Ford vs. Ferrari had a, had a decent second weekend. And um, let's see. The fact that the movie Playing With Fire and Midway are doing better than Charlie's Angels, both of which have a couple week have a week advantage over Angels. I mean, three million for Charlie's Angels. That's a that's a shock. Well, not not really a shocker. Let's see what else. Like Twenty One Bridges did pretty well. Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, I think, did okay. Just who are you appealing it to? Because it, there's. I'm not sure if it's just bad timing or whatnot, but there's other reasons why your movie didn't do well. And the fact is, there really are no bankable actors for Angels. See, what I'm looking at for is that, like, something like Playing With Fire, you got John Cena. John Cena is still a big deal. Ford versus Ferrari, you have Matt Damon, Christian Bale... Two guys that can make a movie do well. I'm looking at Frozen 2. Kristen Bell. Not the biggest name in Hollywood, but her name could make could make a movie pretty good for uh, you know as far as making money. Uh, let's see, Midway. They got tons of actors that are still recognizable. Very obvious. Uh, let's see what else. I mean, Joker was in the top ten this weekend, and Joaquin Phoenix. Robert De Niro and a handful of other actors. I mean, that's, I mean, and based on the fact that it's a comic book and a different kind of comic book movie, Angels, who do you have? Kristen Stewart. That's, she's not bankable. She's not a, she's not a big star. She probably, if this was movie, if this movie was made when Twilight was still around, okay, I can see it, but no. You've got, two nobodies, although one of them could be a star in the long run, and the fact that it didn't have a huge marketing push, I don't think it really was advertised heavily. Now, on the one hand, it was only made for less than $50 million, so it's not going to be a big bomb in the theater, but it's still going to be something that's like, yeah. And the fact that the bringing back a number of these movies, like Sony has struggled with bringing back properties. It's one of those things that we'll have to see what happens when the new Jumanji sequel comes out. I think that comes out in like a week or two. And speaking of which, with that movie, I mean, it's a surprise that that movie did very well, Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle. Because the original movie was not a huge hit. I mean, it did well, but it wasn't like widely loved compared to other movies of that time period. But overall, I mean, it's one of those things that Sony has to be careful with because I saw um, Men in Black International and it had a reasonable cast, but it was an underwhelming performance overall for the year. And there were some other movies they worked on as well. So this can make Sony second guess on what on what they could probably do for the future because remakes and reboots are not always guaranteed to do well. And I think the fact you're trying to base it off of a TV show that already had a movie adaptation that did very well, had big marketing, had bankable actors and all that. I mean are we still going on with the whole reboot or remake fad? Absolutely. There's still going to be tons of these. But I think you have to be careful with what you do next. And I think for something like, say, Disney, they're looking at what is considered loved. And they took Aladdin and the Lion King and made massive money off of these remakes. They kind of stumbled a little bit with the uh, Dumbo remake. I'm not sure if, like, it's a Tim Burton movie, so you never know what you're going to get out of him, I guess. So, yeah. Um, I think 
2020 will be an interesting era for uh, for movies. See where they go because there's still going to be all these comic book movies, all these sequels, and there will still be original movies. It's just a matter of how much of a push those movies, those original movies, will get made, and uh, whether or not you will see smaller budget movies find a name in the weekends that they do come out with. And it's just the I don't know. It's just I mean, there's times where I do want to see a movie in the theater, and it's just there's some weekends where it's like, nah, I don't know. But there definitely are some stuff I would definitely would see. Like I'm definitely interested in the Ford versus Ferrari movie. Um, I'm definitely kind of interested in the um, Richard Jewell movie. That's that to me is very interesting because it's. I mean, it's one of those movies that's like true story, and I don't know. I it's just interesting to see what happens, you know, because based on the '96 Olympics, not much else really. I mean, other than that, and Ford versus Ferrari, and not really seeing anything else that piques my interest. Uh, actually, I forgot one thing with um, the Angels film, like. There are movies with female leads that do very well, and there are movies where they do kick ass. Just because, just because you couldn't make the movie the way, way people want it, I mean, it doesn't mean you need to play the gender card or any of that stuff. It's all bullshit, just pure bullshit from someone who made a failure and doesn't want to admit that she failed. So the last thing I will talk about is very unfortunate in that it's YouTube as a whole. And I have been watching YouTube videos since 2006. Literally for all but the first year. And it's it's a big site for a reason. You see plenty of videos all around. And it's, you know, you want to see you know, entertainment, how-to stuff, kid stuff, yada, yada, yada. I mean, you could more than likely find it on YouTube. But back in September, and this was something I only heard about a couple of weeks ago, uh, YouTube and Google were forced to pay $170 million for violating the COPPA Act, the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act, which... From what was told, YouTube couldn't collect data for children under the age of 13. And I think it has to tie with, like, advertising and all that. And it's like, if, you know, they'll have a specific ad if you're looking at, if a kid's watching, like, something for kids or something like that. And now YouTube is implementing stuff, um, stuff being made for kids or not. And it has caused uh, probably like a very negative reaction regarding the whole thing because YouTube is never good with change. And whenever they make a change, it's typically met with a very negative response. Now, I've been doing YouTube as a hobby for the last eight years, seven on this account, on the account that I'm on. And it is going to be very tough to figure this out because what is for kids? That is an answer that YouTube has not answered. That is a question that YouTube has not answered. And as always, the problem with YouTube is that they're always vague or broad with the whole thing. And it is very tough to figure out you know, whether you'll get a real answer or if you're going to get an automated response that doesn't help at all. It, it's very frustrating. And it presents a danger to what could happen to kid-friendly material on YouTube because they're going to have an automated algorithm that detects whether something's for kids or not. 
and that's very bad because there could be something that may not be directly for kids, but they'll label it as a kid thing, and you could get in trouble. And there is a potential of a fine of forty-two thousand dollars. That is that is very very bad because do you see people with forty-two thousand dollars? No, not really. And most people, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of people that do monetize their stuff, but I wouldn't be surprised if a lot don't, and they do it just on their own for fun and all that. And so I think what they're aiming for is a number of things, like directed to, you know, stuff that's directed to children and whether your stuff has kids in it or not. Um... I gotta look for this stuff because this is also under the uh, Federal Trade Commission, and they're protect trying to protect kids and all that. And uh, the rule sets out additional factors the FTC will consider in determining whether your content is child directed. This is from the FTC site. From let me read the headline: YouTube channel owners, is your content directed to children? And this was. Updated a few days ago. Okay, so the subject matter, visual content, the use of animated characters or child-oriented activities and incentives, the kind of music or other audio content, the age of models, the presence of child celebrities or celebrities who appeal to children, language or other characteristics of the site, whether advertising that promotes or appears on the site is directed to children and competent and reliable empirical evidence about the age of the audience. The determination of whether content is child-directed will be clearer in some contexts than others, but we can share some general rules of thumb. First, unless you're affirmatively targeting kids, there are many subject matter categories where you don't have to worry about COPPA. For example, if your videos are about traditionally adult activities like employment, finances, politics, home ownership, home improvement, or travel, you're probably not covered unless your content is geared towards kids. The same would be true for videos aimed at high school or college students. On the other hand, if your content includes traditional children's pastimes or activities, it may be child-directed. For example, the FTC determined that an online dress-up game was child-directed. Second, just because your video has bright colors or animated characters doesn't mean you're automatically covered by COPPA. While many shows, animated shows are directed to kids, the FTC recognizes there can be animated programming that appeals to everyone. Third, the complaint in the YouTube case offers examples of channels the FTC considered to be directed to children. For example, many content creators explicitly stated in the About section of their YouTube channel that their intended audience was children under 13. Other channels made similar statements and communications with YouTube. In addition, many of the channels featured popular animated children's programs or showed kids playing with toys or participating in other child-oriented activities. Some of the channel owners also enabled settings that made their content appear when users searched for the names of popular toys or animated characters. Want to see the FTC's analysis and context? Read pages 10 through 14 of the YouTube complaint. Finally, if you've applied the factors listed in the COPPA rule and still wonder if your content is directed at children, it might help to consider how others view your content and content similar to yours. Has your channel been reviewed on sites that evaluate content for kids? Is your channel or channels like yours mentioned in blogs for parents of young children or media articles about child-directed content? Have you surveyed your users, or is there other empirical evidence about the age of your audience? So, I am a little concerned, but at the same time, it's like, most of my audience is adults. And people right around my age, because the videos I make on YouTube are mostly in the form of 90s video games. And there, it's a mix of adult video games like Doom and Wolfenstein, along Driver, Medal of Honor, Medal of Honor Underground, and but I also have stuff that might be intended for kids, what they might look at as for kids, like Crash Bandicoot, Sonic the Hedgehog, a couple Home Alone video games, uh, Super Mario Brothers, uh, Tiny Toon Adventures, Animaniacs, 
Chuck Rock. I mean, I don't know where the sports stuff falls into, but it could be just for everyone. And that's what's frustrating is that someone could have content that may not be directed for kids, but but YouTube could say, YouTube's algorithm could say, oh, it's for kids. Put it in as for kids. And one of the things is, if you put in your content as for kids, you lose a lot more than monetization. I don't monetize my videos, but I know there, I get that others do. The problem with putting it in for the content for kids, it's not just the demonetization. It's the fact that you lose comments, you lose rating whether you like the video or not, subscription stuff or suggestion, video suggestions and all that recommended videos and like extra stuff like end cards and annotations it's a very ugly situation for YouTube and it's definitely more of an overreaction for the site without trying to figure out what could work and what and what could not work I mean and it's and there might be plans to expand on the whole COPPA rule which was implemented back in 1998. I get the idea of protecting kids. I think we do need to do that. But there's also that point where you have to have to figure out uh, whether have to figure out that not everyone is directly trying to make stuff for kids. I know I'm not. It's definitely more of a nostalgic type thing. So I'm gotta look at what I have because. Like, try and figure out where my age is. And like, my biggest audience is my two biggest audiences are people eighteen to twenty four and twenty five to thirty four. I get also thirty five to forty four year olds fifteen percent. Um, small smaller is the forty five to fifty four, and the smallest is fifty five to sixty four, and teenagers as my audience for uh, like teenagers are like 1.3% of my audience so it's I don't think kids are searching for my stuff if they were I would I would definitely be in a little bit of trouble considering some of my stuff like with this year I did two video two sets of videos for the Lion King, all the levels from the Sega Genesis version and all the levels in the Super Nintendo version. And I also did a video of the uh, Jungle Book. So it makes the situation look pretty bad a little bit, but I'm I'm not... I mean, I am a little worried, but I am a little concerning because there are lots of kids... There's a lot of channels for that have like kids games and all that. Where does that go? Like where exactly will it go? Because I'm not sure if I mean it, 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 you could be seeing the end of YouTube content for kids. You know, or at least stuff that could be considered family friendly and all that. And YouTube does not do anything. They never, they never think about their audience. They never think about the the people that aren't the big name groups, and it's going to be something that they're going to have to deal with. And you can voice your complaints to the FTC. You can voice your complaints about COPPA as a whole. There have been petitions made to save family friendly content and explain the stuff without being vague or broad. But overall, I'd be curious to see how this upcoming month goes for YouTube as a whole. Because, nope, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of dead channels out there, and they're not going to know that they're going to get fined or not for their content. And there's plenty of channels that are frustrated that they have no idea what is considered for kids and what isn't for kids. I think probably at some point I'll probably play on the safe side, but I probably... We'll keep doing YouTube for now, but I probably will venture on to another 
video sharing site because it's not worth I don't think it's worth the headache of dealing with dealing with YouTube until, unless there's sweeping changes made about the whole thing and because 90s video games with the bright colors and stuff it like they're going to probably detect it as a kids product and that's something I don't want to deal with I mean I could I mean I probably just go the easy way and just find another site because it's not worth my it's not worth my frustration I don't have the money for any of this stuff and yeah and I'll end the ep- and I forgot about this the Astros cheating scandal once again another episode talking about the Astros again now supposedly they might have been using electronic bandages to detect whether a ball would be a fastball or a change-up pitch or something. It just adds up more and more, and it just makes them look more guilty and guilty as as we keep hearing more about this stuff. And the fact that owner Jim Crane does not want to talk about any of this, it's very ugly, and I would more than likely say that whatever's going on, I mean, the idea of him possibly selling the team could be there, and I don't know. I mean, it's going to be one of those things that in two months, in less than three months, spring training's going to come, and they got to figure out these punishments and all that. And one of the things a big congratulations for for the Yankees was before I forget they just got a full time minor league hitting coach the first female one supposedly Rachel Balkovic so you know what that's good for them they're trying to be a little different and all that eh I mean pretty I mean there might be some ways that could you know, hit the ball, swinging mechanisms and all that. Uh, Yeah, so I think that should wrap up this episode of Geeks and Jacks, and I probably will for the next podcast, uh, which will be in two weeks, probably talk some Christmas stuff, probably talk a couple other things. NFL playoffs is a little over a month away, so we'll probably talk a little bit about that. I don't know. Definitely will have some ideas by the time by the time two weeks comes. So with that, uh, episode 22 of Geeks and Jocks, this is Ryan Sullivan, and hope to see you listeners on the next podcast.